So here's a video on um, meditation and meditative practices that uh, anybody can get a hold of and anybody can use and you should be getting a hold of and you should be using. The first thing is don't fetishize it. Don't make it weird. A lot of people who want to make things more than they are, you know, yoga. And everybody gets that stupid, pompous, lemon-sucking face on. But in yoga, you're doing a bit of a fucking stretch. Get in your downward dog and shut up. Meditation. You're just sitting still and you let your mind calm down. That's all it is. Don't make a face. It doesn't make you cool. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. It's a weird thing... Um, that we do with meditation, because as far as I'm aware, only in the modern Western world has meditation been removed from a system of thought or an ideology. Um, everywhere else that I've seen it, it comes with a value system. It comes with a moral philosophy. It comes with a worldview. And we've taken one piece of other people's religions and philosophies and gone, oh, we'll just do that one thing and nick the benefits. I think that you can, um, but probably when people are getting very frustrated, especially people with CPTSD, especially people with pre-existing mental health issues, and they get very frustrated with meditative practices. In fact, um, they actually find it so triggering that it does more harm than good. It's because there isn't a system there that's guiding them to the meditation that would allow them to put their pain, their trauma, their suffering in some kind of a useful context. So raw mindfulness meditation, this is, this is new. This is a fairly new hypothesis. I've not really worked it out properly, but I would go so far as to say raw mindfulness meditation without any sort of preparation of the person who's doing the meditating and without any sort of a, a moral philosophy to go with it might not be great for you, might do more harm than good. I did a video yesterday on the Richard Granham Philosophy YouTube channel that was specifically about why we all have to develop a philosophy. And what I was saying there is you're probably, no, not probably, definitely going to get more traction in your life by developing your own personal philosophy than you're ever gonna get by trying to figure out what's wrong with you and fixing individualized traits that are wrong with you as though they're viruses. I suffer from low self-esteem is a dead end. I suffer from depression, I'm lazy, I procrastinate. You might get some traction, but where you get traction in your uh, therapeutic modalities is where you accidentally end up doing philosophy. So you need a philosophy. You must have a philosophy. Another reason why you need to develop a moral philosophy is because you need a moral philosophy that counteracts the poisonous moral philosophy or lack of moral philosophy that's being imposed on you. So a moral philosophy lets you see what is good, what is bad, how a person should live, and what reality is all about, what life is all about. It attempts to answer these questions. You must develop one because what you currently have instead of a moral philosophy is an ideology of consumer capitalism. What is good? Consuming. What is bad? Being a loser and not having the newest sneakers in a bigger car. How should a person live? Enjoy themselves as much as possible, consume as much as they can. Um, what is the nature of reality? Nothing, materialism, mechanism, you're born, you consume, you die. So it's a fundamentally just saying it out loud like that, which is what it is. That's not a wild conspiracy theory. That's what it is. It sounds depressing. It sounds anxiety inducing. From that philosophy, if we jump straight into meditation and mindfulness, you can see why it would be a bit distressing to some people. Because when you sit still, in the moment of sitting stillness, you enter you re-enter reality unedited. And we're not conditioned for that. We're only conditioned to consume portions of reality, heavily, heavily edited, heavily, heavily distorted, with a narrative 
heavily sweetened, if you like, with a narrative that coats them, that coats portions of reality in a way that allows us to consume it without being too disturbed by it. So you could then say, if you're very, very sick with a poisonous philosophy, and then you're just sat with meditation, you'd be like, oh, all the anxiety, all the suppression, all of the darkness comes up, all of the poison, the bile, the pus comes up and it doesn't feel good. So how do we get there in a way where we can feel good? Well, first of all, I would just say, look, if you consistently find meditation, mindfulness, stillness, meditation, uh, associating to the present moments of reality, which is the opposite of dissociating, um, if you find that distressing, you must reduce your emotional flashbacks, which I've taught you to do for free in the Stop Emotional Flashback course and on the Fortress Mental Health Protection System. You must develop your emotional literacy so that you have emotional intelligence, so that your intuition is there talking to you and your emotions are letting you know, I like this because I don't like this because, and there's some emotional intelligence flowing there. And you must develop a moral philosophy that protects you, that allows you to discern right from wrong. Only in consumer capitalist culture would they want an entire nation of people who haven't got a clue which way is up. They want people with no impulse control, so they buy more. They want people highly emotional, so they buy more. They want people unable to think critically, so it's really easy to sell to them, control the narrative, and tell them to vote and how to vote. They want people with very, very low levels of resilience, so that they're reliant on corporations, things, consumerism, mass media, and the government. They want people to have no critical thinking, because if you develop critical thinking, you'd stop buying. If you, if you become sane, you'll stop buying stuff. You won't frantically buy things to try and moderate the hysteria that we're all sucked into. All of us, we're all sucked into this mass hysteria now, mass action, mass outbursts, because there's no, there's, there's a sort of a blind, boundaryless, thoughtlessness so even when an endeavor starts as a righteous endeavor it's very easy to steer it into non-righteous ends um, it's very easy for it to, to, to degenerate into degeneracy and corruption because we don't have a moral philosophy like nietzsche said god is dead we have killed him what festivals, what distractions will we now have to create to put in that place and to protect ourselves from the guilt we feel from killing our gods, killing our goddesses and killing our religion and basically steeping ourselves in scientific materialism? This is a paraphrasing. It is not a direct quote. He also said, if you read the whole paragraph, people usually just say, God is dead. It's a whole paragraph that comes after that. And it's a lament, not a celebration. The last line is, won't we have to put ourselves in the place where our gods once were in order to justify our crime? That's an interesting line. That's an interesting line. He predicted the massive pandemic of narcissism that we currently live with now. Of course, we we're guilt motivated, we're guilt and jealousy and envy motivated creatures trying to justify this great crime, this great loss. Meditation, I think, can bring us out of that poison, out of that dark ideology, out of that insane, hysterical space, back to ourselves and back to the true nature of reality, unedited. It's sort of an instantaneous red pilling. Think of uh present when i'm talking about meditation by the way i don't mean visualization that's a different thing people get these two things confused or they think meditation hypnosis and visualization it all kind of goes into this mush i'm going to think about the magic unicorn that flies me around the rings of saturn you can if you want to but that's not meditation that's that's a visualization and they're very different the visualization is content it's telling you what to think about. And you're playing a movie in your mind. And everybody, there's 20 people in a room, we all jump on a magic unicorn and fly around the rings of Saturn. We're all having 20 different versions of that experience, of course. 
even if it's literally turned into a film and you do your graphics and your graphics aren't very good. They kind of look like 1980s Thundercats. And that's the version of the unicorn flying around the rings of Saturn that we have. You still get 20 different versions because your perceptions distort, delete, and generalize that which is there on the screen. That's content. We don't want content. We want a lack of content. Marketers hate this. Corporations hate this. Governments hate this. Social media platforms loathe this because what do they provide you with? What is their stock in trade? Content, content. The only way to turn away from content now is to deliberately say, I want non-content, thank you, for five minutes. I'm gonna turn away from the screen. I'm gonna turn away from advertising, marketing and propaganda, and I'm gonna go into the present moment, which is the realest real reality that I can really access. It is a moment of sanity. It is a moment of association. So you don't visualize anything. You enter the moment, and instead of being yang and filling your mind with a thing, you seek to yin the mind. Yin the mind. Let it become a cup. Let it become a vessel. Let it become a space in which that which is can be reflected for a few moments, for some time. It's very soothing. It's very calming. It should feel good. It should feel energizing. It's like taking a break from the burden of stuff, the news, the TV, your telephone, social media is demanding you pick a side, is demanding you back a team and attack the opposing team, is demanding you have an opinion and that you voice it loudly. Because as I just said, it relies on content and it needs you and me as its willing slaves to provide content. We work for social media platforms for free. They don't just harvest our data. Everybody's saying, oh, they're harvesting your data. Well, that's a tiny fraction of what they're harvesting. If we all stopped posting, what would we all read on social media if nobody was posting that? We're the content providers. We're the faceless masses of content providers. We're the ones putting the, the poppies in the field, if you like, from which the opiates are harvested, from which the serotonin is being harvested in, in the form of eyeballs on screen and time and attention. When we stop absorb like producing content and consuming content, when we stop having an opinion, when we stop choosing a side, when we stop investing in ego, identity and identity politics, and we withdraw from that world, we become sane. We become sane. It's the sanest thing you can do. If you think, Let's, put, let's have two columns. Here's sanity and here's insanity. Here's association and here's disassociation. Here's reality and here's delusion. Here is that which is. In this moment, here is my hand. A clock is ticking. My feet are flat on the floor and I can hear the wind outside. And I am talking. And I can hear, I can feel my voice vibrating in my chest. I just put my hand on my chest and I can feel my heart beating that's real that's real so that's me associated to this reality what is occurring in this reality for a few moments is reflected in my conscious awareness i'm not doing or producing anything i am perceiving reality receiving and perceiving reality i am yin i'm yin okay let the reality come in how do my feet feel how do my hands feel? Am I here now? Yes. So I'm associated. That is sane. That's what's here. Disassociated. You're not focused on this current reality. In fact, if you're addicted enough, you're probably doing everything you can to push it away. If you're addicted enough, you may find associating to this reality enormously stressful and frightening. It's insanity because your mind is not reflecting the wall, the ceiling, my hands, my feet, my back, how I feel in this moment. My mind is occupied in what's happening over there. 
somebody who had it, it's always with social media and media, it's always in the past. It's very rarely live. So you're looking at echoes of things that occurred from somebody's perspective very far away, tinged with uh, and spun with a certain narrative to evoke a reaction from you. It's never bland. It's very, well, in fact, it's very, very rarely just presented as is. There's one news channel. When I watch the news, and I recommend you do this if you can, if you look at a news story, find how that news story is being reported in Russia, China, India, Japan. All of these have uh, networks that function in English. France and Spain also. Uh, very easy to access. Um, Multiple networks that you know are right-leaning, left-leaning, try Australian news, try New Zealand news, try Canadian news, and get all of the different perspectives. You'll see multiple perceptions on a singular event. So are they telling the truth? If they're all telling the truth, why are we getting such different perceptions? Why are we getting such a different spin? There's one, I think it's called Euronews. Pretty sure it's Euronews, and they do a thing called No Comment where they don't put a voice over the top of what you're shown or any ticker tape. There's no ticker tape running at the bottom. They just show you what is what happens and it's like 60 seconds. It's a very interesting way to consume the news. It makes you realize that you're actually, we actually, I, you, all of us are very reliant on the voiceover, the ticker tape to tell us what this means. We're like children. You know, when a child, you're playing with a child or you're looking after a child and it's running around the garden and it falls and the child knocks its knee on something. And there is a subjective amount of pain that the child is experiencing, but it doesn't really know how bad the pain is yet. And it doesn't really know what the pain means. So the child turns and looks to you, the guiding adult, to tell you what it means. And you'd think, why doesn't why doesn't he just take the information from his knee and go oh it's about this much pain and i'm feeling like this is enough pain to make because that's not how pain works it's not how anything works pain is a fascinating subject it's been proven under scientific conditions to be enormously subjective and enormously open to suggestion uh, to suggestion and interpretation so which is why Hypnosis and suggestion has been shown to help enormously with pain. I remember when I was a kid and I would do Aikido and we put people in wrist locks and arm locks. And I would always be like, oh, this is a massage. It's to stretch me. It's like yoga. So I'd, le I'd breathe and lean into it. And people were like, oh, you're really, really flexible. Then you put the same move on other people. And because they've never felt their tendons and their ligaments being moved that way, they panic. But the panic makes them experience the, the wrist lock as five times more painful. It's the same wrist lock. Going, the ligaments are going, undergoing the same amount of pressure, but they're going, ow, ow, ow. But the, the pain is the fear. The pain is the fear. It's the interpretation. When we don't have the laugh track on the comedy, they've done this on YouTube. You can watch comedies like Friends and, uh, and Frasier with the laugh track taken out. It's quite strange. You ever notice laugh tracks? Who the hell thought that up? We need to laugh for the audience. We need, we need to let the viewer know that that was funny. We need to let them know that we're doing our jobs and that this is a funny show. Isn't that strange? And it caught on and it's, we, we like it. And if it's not there, it feels odd. That's insanity. That's disassociation. So modern, normal, mainstream consumer capitalist culture trains you to disassociate, trains you to be submissive and trauma bonded to authority, trains you to be a codependent. And then once it's got you into that codependent relationship, excessively strict parenting, bizarre practices in the, ed in the education system that make no effing sense, all of that trained you into that, then it trauma bonds you and then you develop CPTSD, like any kidnap victim or political prisoner would develop CPTSD. So who has CPTSD? Everyone. No, no, CPTSD is special. It's for people with mental health. It's for us. No, you're just the ones who know you have CPTSD.
Everybody else is walking around thinking they're fine or telling themselves some strange story like, I'm basically okay, but my mom had depression, so that's why I've got depression because, you know, it's like a virus or a genetic defect or something. Really? There's a scientific evidence that proves that? No, but, you know, uh, there will be one day. Okay. So at the moment, it's a superstition then. No, no. Show me the evidence. Well, there isn't any. There's no scientific evidence, but it's not a superstition to believe these things. All right. All right. All right. Because we're all such, because they're all such fucking scientists. Oh, okay. Okay. So you will be entrained into thinking that what you want is disassociation and escape from reality, which is not true. What you want is to come back to reality. What you want is to wake up. And it doesn't take much. You just sit still. You don't need to do any weird breathing, but it helps to think about your breathing a little bit. What I do is I say, oh, I'm breathing. That's what I do. I don't even say it in Sanskrit. I say it in English inside my head. I go, hmm, I'm breathing. And the instruction I give myself is let the breath breathe itself. Let this breath breathe itself. And then I think, I know, I'll listen. And I become aware of time, of time, because for a moment I've allowed my consciousness to enter the moment and to listen, and to be here in this moment. And then the only other thing I do, there's a couple of things I do, but the only other major thing I do is I don't try and still my mind because you can't really empty your mind. If you do that, you end up in a fight with your mind. And my mind is sometimes like a cheeky little monkey. It's very fast and hard to catch. And other times it's like a big muscly horse. And I'm just a scrawny little human. So I push the big muscly horse and it pushes back against me. So I go, mind, shut up. And it goes, ha, now I'm going to talk louder just to troll you. <laughs> so instead of saying mind shut up and pushing it, what I do is I say the mind can do what it wants because I'm not the mind. I'm going to observe the mind and I'm going to say it very gently and only as quickly as it's ready if I can increase the spaces between the thoughts. And that's it. And if I'm increasing the spaces between the thoughts, and I'm enjoying breathing and letting my breath breathe itself. And I'm somewhat associated to the to my body, to my hands and my feet. It doesn't have to be the whole body. Just start with your hands because it's easy. Like right now, if you're not a meditator, can you become aware of your hands? Can you become aware of how it feels inside your hands? You're associating to reality. There's nothing more than that. Can you become aware of how you're breathing? Can you listen to what's going on? You're on the road to meditation. I didn't even shave my head. I didn't even put a robe on. I will be changing my name to Sri Rajni Ramadamadingdong next week because you can't just be have some crap normal English name and talk about meditation. It's just it doesn't happen. You've got to be Ramadamadingdong. Otherwise nobody will listen. And that's a meditative state. And it's not it's not that special. But it's quite nice. It's quite pleasant to be associated and in the moment and not being driven up the wall by somebody else's idea of what my consciousness should be filled with. Because I don't know who that person is. But I suspect that they don't really have my best interests at heart, nor yours. I don't think they have our best interests at heart at all. Nice to take a break. Nice to pull away from it. Nice to realize that in a sense, it's noise. It's noise. It's a lot of noise. And if you think of proportions, how much adrenaline and cortisol is released in the world for how much trouble? There is trouble in the world, but there's always trouble in the world. That's the world. There's always trouble. There's always stuff going on. I'm talking in proportions like and how much stress do we need to feel do we need to feel anything about it 
The news is telling you you do. The TV is telling you you do. You must have an opinion about the serious issue. You must feel. No, actually, I don't think I need to. I think I'll just sit here and be in the moment. Thank you. In the time that is coming, it will be useful for you to have one foot in being able to be grounded in the moment. It will be useful for you to be able to put the phone down, put the laptop down, turn the TV off and just sit quietly and realize that reality is what reality is, not what other human beings in a position of power want you to think it is. This would help a lot. Reduce your stress, reduce your emotional dysregulation, reduce your despair. All of things, all of these things are really hurting you, by the way. They're not vague, like, oh, it's the soul problem. It's no, no, physically it deteriorates you. There's no question about that. Psychoneuroimmunology tells us it has an impact. It hurts you to be so stressed out. It hurts you to feel despair. It hurts you to be traumatized by watching another human being or human beings suffer terribly and not being able to do anything about it. Think if you were a primitive person, if you were a caveman or a cavewoman, and I slaughtered another caveman or cavewoman in front of you, you would get very distressed if you weren't able to stop it, if you couldn't do anything about it. It would be traumatic to do that. When you start thinking like that and you do a bit of meditation, start thinking about TV shows. And I've been thinking a lot about TV shows. The drama, we're addicted to drama, but it's kind of traumatic. It's kind of traumatic. There's no such thing as a TV show about a family that's harmonious and loves each other and and um, uh, everything goes great and it's healthy. That's dull. I'm not going to watch that. I want a spectacle. Entertain me, television. Entertain me. Okay, so it would need pain. The daughter would need to be anorexic and cutting herself. The son would need to be a coke addict who engages in underground fighting and gets his kidney burst. But, you know, he could have gone to Harvard, but instead, you know, needs to ruin his life, something. The father's a gangster, the mother's cheating on the fight. You know, oh, that's, that's exciting. That's interesting. But it's actually just traumatic. It's traumatic. We are all probably more sensitive than we realize, and we're probably more screwed up by this world than we realize. I'm not saying don't do anything. That's not what I'm saying. If you can do something, do something. If somebody's being hurt in front of you and you can stop it, take action to stop it. But if you can't do anything, put down your spear, your spear and your shield and don't waste your energy fretting over stuff that you can't do anything about. Save your energy, choose your moments, choose your battles, use your energy well, and don't be sucked into uh, what some clever journalist has called clicktivism. Clicktivism, the idea that through something on social media that you're doing, you're gonna make a real effect in the world. You're probably not. It's probably a, as a result of a dopamine addicting trauma bonding process that's making you feel like you're doing something but really you're not doing anything except getting yourself stressed out help humans in this reality your reality not this reality which is a fake reality help humans in this reality which is your reality do something for somebody you feel impotent you feel impotent rage you feel impotent despair Go do something for somebody. Bought a guy some, uh, a homeless guy some food yesterday when I was uh, working at the Liverpool Science Park. And uh, when I lived in Liverpool, and, like there's a lot of homeless in Liverpool and they would ask me for money. I'd always say like, I can't give you money, but I'll buy you some food. What do you want? Like, what kind of food do you want? Do you want a sandwich? Do you want like, what do you want? When you do something for somebody that's in real reality, you're actually doing something. Now, let me describe to you why this is narcissistically and solipsistically useful for your mental health. When you 
do something that you can do and you feel that sense of, okay, I've made some small contribution. I never really felt like it was the food. I felt like it was more a gesture of saying to somebody, I can see you. I see you're a human being. I'm not going to stop living my life to try and get you a job in banking. I'm not going to invite you into my home, but I'm going to let you know I care enough about you not to give you money for drugs and that I'm going to buy you some food. And maybe we'll share like a moment and have a joke. And you think, oh, that's kind, that's caring. Maybe it is, but solipsistically and narcissistically, it's good for me as well. It's not a vague symbolic action out there. Social media and mass media is training us to worship idols. I don't mean this in some weird like he's turned into like a born again. Is he a born again Christian? Is he a born again Muslim? I'm so confused. What's he into? Listen to these interviews. I'm confused. I mean, the idol is the symbol for a God, right? An idol is a symbol for a God. And I'm not saying, oh, don't have idols because idols are wrong. Whether it is or it isn't, it's kind of primitive and it's fetishistic and I don't know, have them if I don't really care whether you have an idol or not. What I do care about is that we're clearly in a time where we worship the symbol and the spectacle and the idol and we've forgotten that these things represent something. We don't care about what they represent. We're just purely symbolic now, which is really dumb. We worship idols. No, not the God represented by the idol, the frigging idol. Like, so if you have some bronze owl that's Moloch, um, and it's right here, there's actually a hair there. There's a, there's a, I'm in my auntie's house. There's a little statue of a hair. And I go, well, that represents an animal, a living, breathing animal. But if I get confused and I grab the hair and I try and pet it, I'll be like, this is a weird hair. If I take Moloch, the bronze thing, and I start hugging it and it's sharp, it cuts me. It's, that's what we're doing. We're idol worshipping. We are idolaters now, but in a way that is beyond anything that was ever written about in the Abrahamic religions. Beyond that. Because in the Abrahamic religions, it was like, don't make idols and worship them because you're focusing your love and your time and your attention on other gods. Don't do that. No, we're dumber than that. We've taken the idol. What was it? It was a golden calf. The golden calf of, uh, of, of, of um, oh, where all the zealots had to kill all the naughty Jews. There was good Jews and there was naughty Jews. That's where I think this is where zealotry comes from. And the zealots were a good tribe and they were to kill all of the naughty Jews who were worshiping this golden calf that they'd made, but they didn't really worship the calf. <laughs> they worshiped what it represented and they were frolicking and having a festival and shagging each other and engaging in debauchery. And so, you know, the boss was pretty mad and he was like, right, you need to kill some of these to sort them out and put them back in line. They didn't worship the actual golden calf. We do. That's how dumb we are. We take the image and that's what we're doing. We've become a purely symbolic uh, society now. We worship idols far above humans. When I rail against materialism, I'm not just talking about watches and cars and phones and money. I'm saying the, the, the thing, the world of the thing, the world of the flesh, the materialism that says, you know, I'm a 42-year-old white man, and that's it. There's, there's nothing else to me. I am my identity. I am the, I, whatever identity, identitarians, whatever box I'm putting, that's all I am. That's all I am. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? And I'll tell you something else. In every major tyrannical system, whether it comes from the left or from the right, they're always symbol worshippers. And they always put the symbolic gesture as a primacy before what it means, before what it's supposed to do. So you'll have people saying, we have to wear masks. You have to wear masks. And the same people are doing really stupid things that definitely would get you uh, contaminated if you were facing somebody who was, was infectious. But the fetishist split is... It's like Dumbo with the magic feather. Dumbo can fly. 
Dumbo the elephant can totally fly because he's a magic elephant, but he thinks he needs the feather. That's the fetish. That's the fetish is the is the feather. People think fetishes are sexual. Actually, a fetish is an object that's imbued with magical power. It's it's that's what idolatry becomes. You think that the idol has magical power. You think there's something in. You're like, oh, the thing. It's the thing that you did. No, the thing is nothing. The thing is a representation. That's where we're at. So it always puts the symbol as primacy and the actual thing that keeps you safe or helps you to thrive becomes secondary. So being seen to be doing something becomes the primal thing and actually doing the thing is secondary. That's what, that's where culture is now. That's where culture is now. It's more important to be seen to be playing tennis than to actually enjoy a game of tennis with nobody watching. We know this. It's splitting us. It's it's making us narcissistic. It's making us psychopathic. Everybody is now codependent. Everybody now has CPTSD. Everybody is trauma bonded. What's next? Disassociative identity disorder. You now are being entrained to have two egos, two two separate senses of self. There is, and it depends on how old you are, but everybody's uh, succumbing to this now. There is who you really are when you're at home on the couch. Nobody can see you, and you're watching Netflix and I don't know, eat, eating some dreadful thing that you you know isn't isn't within your dietary protocol what you should be eating and then there's the you that you portray to the world and there's always been that there's always been the ego ideal versus the reality of the self that's fine but what I'm saying is the split is getting wider and wider and the ego ideal is just growing in grandiosity ladies and gentlemen Take the veil off your eyes and look at the mind-numbing displays of grandiosity all around us now. We don't punish people for it. We don't question people for it. We don't say, hey, just calm yourself. Calm down with that crazy horseshit. You're like a, you're like a, you know, when a three-year-old dresses up and says, I'm Superman, I can fly to the moon. That's cute. But when you have fully grown adults in positions of power saying the same thing, that's not cute. That's dangerous. And the fact that we all accept it as the new normal, we've hypernormalized narcissism. We've hypernormalized fantasizing. We've hypernormalized dissociative identity disorder. This is how I really act. I'm basically a scumbag, a criminal, but I'm going to portray myself this way. And the gap is getting larger and larger. And this ego ideal that I'm portraying online to other people is going to get slowly more and more grandiose because I have to compete in the perception market in the economic perception market with other people who are grandiose and only the most grandiose person can win. So the environment trains grandiosity in trains splitting to the point where nobody's ashamed that they don't look and act and talk like they're pretending to online. You're not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be real. You're not supposed to tell the truth. You're not supposed to be authentic. That's why people thirst. That's why people are in such thirst for authenticity. The meditative state, of course, is the opposite of all that because you're insanity. You're inside a sane environment where all of that, so the sanity was this side, all of this is the world of illusion. How do I control other people's perceptions so that I will be rewarded in the kingdom of heavenly narcissism? It's totally infantile and it's religious. It's totally religious. People clearly believe, clearly in their secret heart of hearts, believe that they can transcend this reality if they can just get enough likes, followers, money, whatever it is they're trying to get. They believe in magic, not metaphorically. I am not speaking in metaphorical terms, literal magic. They believe in literal, religious, transcendent magic. If I can just fulfill condition X, Y, and Z, I will zoom out of this reality on a spaceship. That's what they believe. And when it doesn't happen, they disintegrate, they fall apart. We're seeing that now. 
we're seeing disintegration. We're seeing people just collapse, completely collapse, because it's a fantasy. It was never going to work. People are like, oh, my God, why is everything like this? And I'm going, well, what did you friggin' think was going to happen? We all invested in a perverted criminal enterprise for decades, for decades. We just ripped people off, exploited them, expected them to deal with it, and never thought the bill would come due. We've never thought the bill would come due. Well, it's coming due now. <laughs> it's fucking coming due now, isn't it? Which is why I say, if you keep doubling down on the idol, on the, like if I say false God, I would be implying there's a real God. I wish I could offer you a real God. I wish, I wish there was something I could say, but all I have for you is a fairly, uh, not, not, I don't think it's brutal, but I know that people who are steeped in consumer capitalism think it's brutal, a, a fairly sparse Spartan uh, philosophy, which is accept reality as it is, have a sense of humor, curb your enthusiasm, <laughs> slow down, drop your expectations, drop, I, I mean, I, I've been biting my tongue for so many years, like everybody who follows me, all of you, I mean this with all love, I really, really do, you, you have to drop your entitlement, you've got to do something about your entitlement, you need to raise your humility. I've got good people following me. I have nice people following me. Truly genuine, nice people. All of you need to take a look in the mirror and you need to do something about your entitlement, entitlement levels. You need to drop them. You need to take your humility, raise it. This is why I say I wish I, wish I could offer you a God because I would just say, be, be God-fearing. Be God, but I don't, I don't believe in, in a God, but that's what it used to be. You just say, just be God fearing. Don't, don't primp and posture and pretend and think that you're fooling anybody or think that it's cute. There's nothing cute about a middle-aged person acting like they're still 14 years old. It's not cute. It's creepy. It's actually creepy. We must grow up. I mean, I'm talking about my followers, but my followers, people who listen to me are the only people I, I have access to, obviously, right? It's actually just culture. It's just generally, it's just, it's just in the culture. So it's everyone. It's not unique to my followers. We've got to slow down. We've got to put our feet back on the earth, which is one of the things I'm telling people to do in meditation. Put your feet on the ground, literally and physically. Put your feet on the ground. You're one person out of several billion. We'll all be dead in a very short period of time because life is short and we'll, our names will barely be remembered inside of three or four generations unless you've got like a uh, one of your offspring is, is really big on ancestry let's just all cool it let's just all cool it a little bit with the posturing and the strutting life's but a poor player that struts and frets its hour upon the stage Tis a tale told by a fool, full of sound and fury, signifying not so much. That's where we're up to right now, folks. Meditation and meditative states brings you back to humility, back to your body. You're just a like you just you're just here. It's just this is it. This is my body. Uh, you're not just a body. You're more than a body. You're a spiritual being. You're having a human experience. But it's good to come back to the body and go. Oh, I'm here. I'm localized. I'm not a representation of a team. I'm not a representation of some ideology out there that I didn't even invent. The arrogance, the friggin' arrogance. I'm speaking in English. I didn't invent English. Well, oh, I have free will. Yeah, sure you do. Sure you do. I can't even conceptualize the world outside of the English language and outside of the ideology I was raised in. I'm not that special. You're not that special. And that's okay. That's wonderful. What an alleviation. Ah, <sighs> that was what religious people used to be able to do. I'm not that special. It's God's will. I'd, when I'll be dead and I'll go back to God, 
I was with God. I was living inside of God's heart before I was born. And when I die, you know where I'm going to go? Back to God's heart. How am I going to die? When am I going to die? Ask the big man. It's all down to God. We can't, I can't give you that, unfortunately. If you have that and you're a faith, God, God bless you. <laughs> you're lucky. I can't do it and, and other people can't do it like naively. But that's the way we used to live. And that's where meditation can take you back to. And that's a, that's a healthy thing. That's a healthy thing. If anything can save us now, it would be that coming back to ourselves, coming back to each other, coming back to our local communities. I can help a few homeless people who I see when I walk within five meters of them on my way to work. That's who I can help. I don't need to be more grandiose than that. Uh, you know, say homeless people. I'm not going to try and get off on another tangent here, but these are these are these are people who are addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol. They're traumatized and they're on the way out. They will be dead. They will, you know, you're talking about people. Guy I spoke to yesterday, probably in his early 30s. He's dying. I can see it. His his body is dying. His teeth are falling out. He's not going. He's not going to live for much longer. So you can say, well, what's the point then? Well, if you can answer the question what this reality is and you can answer it to your own satisfaction in a way that is meaningful to you in a way that takes courage to come to the conclusion of what i've found when i've answered that question and i've really thought about it and i approach it with sincerity and with a sober mind is uh it leads me to a place where i want to be kinder to people much, much kinder to people when I think about what this reality might be. It makes me kinder to people for the sake of it, because it's shit and their lives are shit and it hurts and it's awkward and they suffer. So what does it mean? I buy somebody a can of Coke and some Haribo Tang Fastix, which is what he asked me for. It's not literally about the calories he's going to put in him. It's about the fact that he's been recognized. What good does that do if he's dying? I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that question. If that's a question that really, really concerns you, we're probably not on the same fucking wavelength. <laughs> I just, you know, it depends on how you view reality. It depends on your philosophy of life. So hopefully that was a sane, non-pompous talk about meditation and where we're up to. I'm going to check the comments now and see if we have any questions, which I will uh, try to answer. If you make it one um, uh, sentence long and end in a question mark, it would be helpful for me. I think we should live in such a way that reduces the suffering in the world as much as we can. Yes, that seems to be responsible. It also acknowledges that the suffering is there. It's one of the, the, the very good things about Buddhism is it starts by saying, hey, life sucks. That's sanity. That's, that's a sanity-inducing proposition. You start from the proposition, life is suffering, and then, you, and then Buddhism is like, how do we reduce it? Consumer capitalism starts from, life is a party. You should feel wonderfully happy every day. Be a teenager forever. Get plastic surgery so you look like a teenager forever. Take drugs and live as though you're a teenager. Have the concerns of a teenager. Have the mindset of a teenager until you are dead you know play this the sex selection game which you should have given up in your teens forevermore it's just one party forevermore okay so i mentioned one perception it's kind of dour it's kind of dour it's like downbeat it's a very spartan sparse philosophy but that's rooted in reality this one is fantasy this is the red pill this is the blue pill which one do you want you don't want the red pill because it doesn't sound like fun. Eh, maybe it is less fun. But this one, the highs that it gives you are nothing compared to the lows that it will give you. You are guaranteed massive mental health problems if you, if you go down this road. Huge suffering because you're living in denial of truth. You're living as a liar. You're a kafar against truth. And you'll suffer. Of course you'll suffer. Katie asks, why do I feel like I'm wasting time if I'm doing nothing, trying to be in a peaceful meditative state? That could be a, a, an issue with your uh, superego, with your inner critic, which is like, drive, 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 do more, do more, do more, do more. Produce, 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 produce. It's the, uh, I don't know if you saw the beginning of this, but I was talking about having 
developing a philosophy that counters the poisonous philosophy that we're all steeped in now, developing a better philosophy. By the way, I'm really hopeful still for the world that we're in now. And the reason is um, all it takes is better ideas. There's not like if we had to be like, oh my God, there's not enough salt or there's not enough water or the sun's blocked out. Like we're really screwed. We're just in a drought of ideas. That's all. It's just as if you come along with a better idea right now, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. So uh, yeah, it's the it's the inner critic. You've got to deal with the uh, inner critic, and you must develop a philosophy that can replace the toxic ideology of consumer capitalism that will keep you working, 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 working. Who benefits from that? Richard, can you speak more to your definition of entitlement? Yeah. Entitlement means that uh, people feel that they've literally been given a title. They've literally been given a position of office, of authority, from which they can make demands upon the world and from which position of office or authority they will reap taxes. It's like um, it's like some of us are acting like we're fucking ninth century local nobility feudal lords and 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 ladies i want this well we don't have that let me see the manager well wow wow the hell calm down it's not all about you there's a lot of other people here there's a hell of a lot going on the fact that you didn't get exactly the frappuccino that you were looking for does not entitle you to respond with this level of hostility. It's insane. You're acting like a crazy syphilitic tyrant who's at the end of their days. That's the type of entitlement I'm talking about. Everybody thinks they should just be given stuff. Why? Why? Who owes you anything? Who, who owes you anything? The people who owe you something may owe you something, but everybody else owes you nothing. You are not you're beyond the basics of your human rights. You are owed a, a basic level of respect. You're not owed admiration. Some people think that they are. You are owed a reasonable amount of good customer service proportionate to what you have paid and, to purport, and proportionate to the context. You're not gonna be treated like the owner of the company every time you complain because you're not the owner of the company you know this wonderful thing people do on social media they don't like somebody anymore and they're like i'm unfollowing i'm unsubscribing it's like this person has a million followers who the hell do you think you are <laughs> like this is insane it's free just go and choose another free channel but no i'm i'm angry and I want someone to do a thing about the fact that I am not happy. Why? Why should anybody do anything about you? You don't matter. You don't matter. It's not about you. It's it. Nobody owes you anything. You don't matter. But we have huge levels of entitlement, huge levels of arrogance. Where does it come from? Uh, again, I sound like a stock record. I'm not a communist. I'm not a communist. I believe in. I believe capitalism is the most dignified way of getting things done. But this particular brand of unbridled, predatory, sadistic capitalism it has no future, boys and girls. This cannot last. Say if everything goes back to normal tomorrow, and we get another five years. 10 years we may get 15 it doesn't matter because we're only kicking the can down the road and this is true in every sense if you look at where our economies are up to we're on the verge of collapse globally global collapse every year since 2008 we've been kicking the can down the road to earn another 12 months another 18 months they don't plan further than that that's just the economy and everything else comes back from that. How do we kick the can down the road another five or 10 years? How do we sell our slaves more baubles so that they can put more money back into this machine that's dying? It's, it's dying, it's breaking, it's, it's been dying. 
It's been dying for a, for a while. Uh, do you like what Yuval Noah Harari says? I've never I've never heard any of that, but that's a cool name. I'll um, if you remind me, I'll look that person up. The world is changing. We need to get on board and participate. Yeah, the more we resist, uh, the worse this is. The more painful it will be. The more painful it will be. Eugene Rose is here. Hi, Eugene. Sometimes being seen is the least or most anyone ever wanted. Yeah. In in this uh, particular place where we're at, where I mentioned the split of the 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 widening split between the real self and the ideal self and the grandiosity of the ideal self. What we want is to be completely invisible in our authentic self. We do not want to be seen. We're terrified of being seen, which is why love is not impossible in the modern age, but it's it's become a real tricky issue. It's, it's very hard to do because we live in love-phobic times. We're in an anti-intimacy culture and you can't have love without intimacy we keep telling each other and we keep playing the game and you know banging the drum that you can have love without intimacy <laughs> you can't. it doesn't exist love without vulnerability love without truth love without telling people the truth good luck good luck so they want to be invisible in their authentic self maximally invisible in the authentic self maximally visible of the um the idealized grandiose self because what we're trying to do is we're trying to eat it's like picking the ice cream off 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 the off the uh, the ice cream the icing off the cake you we're just trying to survive on sugar on sugar because there's nothing it's like it's hard to get anything else so we're like oh just so we're starving so if you've got nothing in the environment so in a normal environment where you would eat food you have a certain appetite for sugar you'd be like oh yeah a little bit of sugar it's nice just take a little spoonful of that lovely yum like one teaspoon a day but when you're starving and all there is is sugar your desire for sugar increases exponentially and i think that's part of the entitlement as well is we're used to manipulating a certain kind of attention from people and this the kind of attention is not adult to adult it's deference so we manipulate people into deference and that's where the real entitlement is. If I'm pushing you into giving me attention, but I'm still respecting your boundaries, and I'm still, I don't need deference. I just need you to hear me. Is that dehumanizing you? It's manipulating you. This is not that. This is, I want you to worship me. Kiss my feet. Kiss my feet. That's insane. That's completely insane. I'll answer one more question and then I think my body, my body that I'm tuned into because I'm so spiritual, so super spiritual is telling me that it needs food. Eh, okay. Mm. Susie asks, is everything in society made to reduce us to our base instinct so we become more compliant? Our base instinct to fear so we become more compliant. Are we promised the American dream is a way out when it doesn't exist and it promotes a rat race? So. If you think of it as being like, there's people in charge and there's people who, not people in charge. Think of it as the haves versus the have nots. Think of it as the billionaires and then those of us who are not billionaires. You've got all the stuff and you want to keep it and you know the system is breaking. What do you do? You take more. Why? Same as the sugar example. You think you're going to lose it's a natural human instinct to be like, no, take as much as we can, because if they steal 20% back from me, but I have 500 billion instead of 400 billion, I won't have lost. I'll still have more. I'll lose more, but I'll have more at the end, right? So it's going to be more. It's like you'll never, you could live. 60 lifetimes back to back of pure hedonism and not put a fucking dent in this fortune what's it for what's it for i i, I like it okay okay <laughs> okay because money is now everything money is at well to say money is now everything money's been everything for quite a while um it means that money is the money is the final word on every subject. Money is the ultimate idol, really. So we now money used to symbolize 
work or symbolize well in fact originally money symbolized trust money was trust money was um uh, safety money was security it's a promissory note bring your note back that i signed and your pot of gold and the precious ruby you gave me from my vault that's what money was it represented a thing now it represents money like money is money <laughs> money is just money <laughs> and once we did that and we made that decision okay so some smart person in the comments gonna be like actually i think you'll find money is credit money is debt now it's just okay fine fine fine, fine, fine. It's, it's debt money is debt money is credit fine 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 yes of course but it's not a thing it doesn't represent anything but itself so the idol is the the idol is the god and the god is the idol what a shit god this fucking idol is your god yeah what does your god do it sits there made of bronze not moving <laughs> why should i worship because it's a great god no it isn't it sucks this god sucks your god sucks man so we worship this thing and when you say worship you go is using mystical language well sorry how the fuck do we not worship money if people have money we revere them not as gods but like as high priests and high priestesses i mean the famous people we call them stars they're from the stars they're from the heavens why because they get on screen and say words and pretend they're another person okay you know we worship we do have it's not like we lost our religion we just chose we went back i've been reading a lot of nietzsche recently i've been reading specifically thus spake zarathustra which if you can get through it wow that really gives you a lot of insight into the time we're living in we have not lost religion actually it's not true um what we've done is we've reverted back to the most primitive religion known to humanity which is fetishism which is fetishism which is the the least evolved the most primitive the dumbest <laughs> the dumbest most depraved most likely to lend itself to human sacrifice because it's the thing that has primacy this represents the stargate through which you will pass when you die would be like a useful thing but i'm not even saying that i'm just saying to worship this why because it's amazing that's that so this is then this is the fetish this is the thing that's what we've done we've taken the thing so we do worship how do how do people worship in ancient times in any religion any culture you worship with a sacrifice and prayer prayer is a form of sacrifice you're sacrificing your time and your attention you're sac in american gods what did uh medea say in american gods medea took over the media she became the television she said time and attention sweeter than lamb's blood this is how i let people sacrifice to me give me your time give me your attention we do sacrifice we do revere we do we do supplicate to these people so there is a religion it's just a perverse prim primitive fetishist uh, religion that requires human sacrifice massive human sacrifice if you're you know, a, a conspiracy theorist uh you might even say literal it's literal human but whether it's literal or metaphorical it doesn't matter because it still kills people it tortures people it definitely kills people it definitely tortures people it definitely enslaves people it definitely kidnaps people it definitely rapes people it definitely genocides people no doubt no doubt it's evil it's evil we're in we're in an idolatrous age and we're worshiping moloch we're worshiping the, the the world of material good and it depends on sacrifice i want to get myself shot if i keep talking like this let's talk more vaguely about meditation Yuji <laughs> rose continues the quote they ignore their spouse their spouses and their children for me so she says to shadow the main character the protagonist um he's from up the road from me 
I think his name's I think his name's Richard as well. Actually, that fella. He's from he's, he's from Manchester. That lad. Um, they ignore people so that they can stare into. They ignore their own children. They ignore. I mean, and and all I would say is like, um, if if people returned back uh, to each other um, and away from the screen, it would be fine. It would be fine. We would. That's the route to healing is to come back to this reality, turn away from the screen, come back to sanity, come back to the present, come back to this. This is you. Well, it's part of who you are. This is part of who you are. This environment and the people in it, that's what counts. And the rest is just a sacrifice to um, an evil God whose we don't name. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and uh, for your attention. I hope that that was useful. Potent is here. Potent, the rock star. He will be with uh, myself and Pierre XO on Tentacle Quest on this Wednesday. Please join us there. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, psychedelics, music, and uh, the current protests that are going on. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again soon, guys. Cheers.